Welcome to Scaling with Disha, the show that helps online entrepreneurs to scale their business to six figures and beyond without the hustle or the overheads. I'm your host, Disha Wadup, and I'll be here each week to remind you that you can do anything you set your mind to. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Vince, and I am so excited to hear from Vince today because he is an absolute rock star. He is awesome, and I am so excited to be connected with you, Vince. So Vince is an award-winning business and marketing strategist, coach, author, and host of the Chasing Insights podcast, an ex-radio announcer with over 20 years in marketing. Vince has been recognized by his peers with numerous awards, including being named a fearless 50 a program designed to recognize top 50 marketers in the world who are driving bold, fearless marketing and digital transformation. He's also founded multiple companies, including Chasing the Insights Podcast and Academy, where he empowers entrepreneurs and business owners to make sense of marketing and to grow the business they have always dreamed of. Vince, hello. Introduce oh my goodness. I'm so excited to have you. It's so good to be here, seriously. And um, first of all, um, I'm totally going to use you to introduce me every time now because that sounded amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Deja, it, it is so good to be here. Thank you so much. So tell us your story to Chasing oh the goodness. Insights. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Well, once upon a time, no. Um, so <laughs> I've kind of, through my whole career, I've kind of been in and out of corporate and entrepreneurship and um, I originally, by the way, trained as an electronics and computer engineer. I, I wanted to be the guy that made all the gadgets for James Bond or Batman until I realized that's not actually a viable career option. But anyway, I, I learned the hard way. Um, but I, I got really passionate about technology and really passionate about human behavior. And so most of my career will you know, like reflect that. Like you know, I worked in a technology role, worked in a lab making incubators. So there's that side of it. Then I was managing teams. Uh, then I worked on radio. We had to interact with people and, and you know, get guests on the show and things. But all of it started to converge into this one thing, which was my love for marketing. And when technology and human behavior combined, then that becomes digital marketing. And that was kind of what I accidentally fell into and then discovered I was really, really good at. So, so that kind of started that journey. And then I kind of got in and out by launching companies. Um, and my most recent company up until what I'm doing now was Common Ledger which was a high growth tech startup. So we worked in the accounting sector and uh, we're based here in Wellington, New Zealand, but all of our clients, it seemed, were in Australia, UK, uh, the US and, and many other countries. So it involved far too much travel and not enough time seeing my family and a huge amount of stress, as you can imagine. Um, we grew that incredibly fast. Uh, we, we only, I think we only had the company for about three and a half, four years but in that time, we raised a million dollars worth of seed funding. Uh, we got some incredible marquee clients on board, some of the big four firms um, and, and wider as well. And the growth was just phenomenal. But that pressure, that stress and not seeing my family really paid a toll. And I remember coming home from a trip to Sydney and I, I sat down at home and my son sat next to me. He was 12 at the time. He just goes, hey, Dad, can we have a chat? And I said, yeah, sure, mate, sure. And he goes, look, I know you're building a really good company but I think we need to spend more time together. And that as a parent is such a mixed feeling because half of you is incredibly proud going, oh my goodness, I built a relationship with my kids where they can be completely open with me. They can talk about how they're feeling without you know feeling any kind of judgment or anything like that. And then the other half of me is just going, ouch, <laughs> like how did it get to this? Um, so I just went, actually, that's a really good point. Hold that thought and picked up my phone. Of course, he rolled his eyes just going, oh, dad's on the phone again. Um, but I rang my co-founders and in front of my son just said, hey, guys, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. Um, I want to spend more time with my family. 
We have crossed so many major milestones. Our valuation was through the roof. We can literally hire someone to replace me now. I'll stay on as the majority shareholder, but I'm out. And two things happen. One, on the other end of the phone, my co-founders were all screaming, like literally, <laughs> I've never heard such obscenities. They're just going, ah, I say, I will talk Monday, bye. <laughs> I got the phone. Um, but my son was just like, oh my goodness, that was easy. Um, because I wanted him to know and I wanted my family to know that that is my priority. So so that was an interesting journey. And then then I found out that actually a lot of the investors and a lot of the marquee clients had come on board because of what I brought to the table. So they came on for my vision. They came on for my leadership, which is challenging when you're leaving a company um, and, and does, like, if you look at it from a surface level, it kind of looks like, oh, wow, well done, Vince. You know, you're like, you built it where they only were there because of you. But that's actually a really bad thing because it means they bought into my vision, not the company vision. Um, so I learned a lot from that experience. But also it put us in an awkward position. And that was when we had the realization that actually there's a large amount of companies out there wanting to buy us. Why don't we start that conversation? So we went through an acquisition and which was an emotional roller coaster until it was one of those things where you're, you're going through having the conversations with all these different companies. You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. This is so stressful. It's my baby we're selling here. And oh no. And then you see your bank balance and you go, I'm a-okay with this. Oh my goodness, yes, <laughs> please. I've got some actual kids. You can buy them if you want. Uh, no, so, so that was that was an awesome and crazy and stressful, but you know, rich and learning kind of journey. And I ended up leaving there to uh, end up becoming the chief marketing officer at Cigna. So I joined the team at Cigna, ran their digital marketing channels, grew those insanely quickly. Uh, from I think when I started there, I was only at Cigna for about five years, but when I started there. The online channel brought in about 2% to 4%. I can't remember the exact number. It was between 2 and 4% of the overall revenue for the business. And when I left, having doubled the overall revenue for the business, the, the portion I looked after was about 40-something percent of that. So, so wow. most of the growth came through the work that I was doing. And then became the chief marketing officer there. And that's when I went, what the hell am I doing? Like, seriously, I loved my job. I love the people there. It is a great company awesome leadership team and and for all intents and purposes it opened up a lot of opportunities for me and everything but I was feeling incredibly unfulfilled and that's when I realized that where I'm really at my prime is when I'm at the front line of where I'm seeing people impacted so it's actually being where I can see people change I can see them shift I can see them break through and uh, like no matter what anyone tells you the c-suite levels at large corporations you are very far removed from the impact. Um, you literally have to treat people as much as this grieves me. You have to treat people as numbers and dollar signs. And that just felt so unaligned with who I am. And that started me having some some kind of free and frank conversations with the CEO, just saying, look, I just don't think this is going to work. We tried everything to make it work. Um, she was trying different options there because I'd said to her, I'm, I'm really passionate about writing my next book. I'd already published Chasing the Insights while I was there. And I knew that I was called to write this next book. It was like, okay, I need to do this. Um, so we're looking at, do I take time off? Do I go part-time? Do I? Nope, none of those options work. They were all serving me and only me. And I felt really like ethically I had some issues with that. So I just went, it's time for me to move on. So I left there in January 2020, packed it all in. Everyone thought I was insane. Go, do you know how much we pay you? And I'm like, yes, I do. But money's not everything. <laughs> so left there. And my entire goal, Disha, was simply to write my next book. I'm like, that is what I'm going to focus on. Nothing else. It's just going to be full-time writing. I'm going to be a happy lad. Um, and then COVID hit. Um, so fortunately, I got out before COVID because that would have been a nightmare. But a lot of my colleagues used to ring me up and go, you jerk. 
Um, so, so I left there and was focusing on the book. And then a lot of the companies, the businesses that I was interviewing for the book, um, of course, the world imploded on them. And a lot of them just went, look, we'd love to help you, but our head's not in the right space. Like, seriously, we have all the same overheads we've always had, but we have no revenue coming in the door. Like none at all, and they were getting government um, support and things, and the, they had clients in, in various different countries or people in the countries helping me. Um, but they really were stressing out and kind of going, "We don't know what to do. We just we're numb." And that's when I went, "I can't stand by and let that happen." Like there was something in me that just went, "I need to help," um, but I don't want to do it for them because a they can't afford it, and and b I want them to get something out of this. So I started helping each of them businesses to pivot or in some cases to look at how they can add additional value to their clients or how they can get additional revenue through different streams and things like that as well, or even how to scale and grow their companies in some cases. And the results were so tangible and so quick. I was like, oh my goodness, why have I not done this before? Like, what is going on? You're a moron, Vince. Like, seriously, you should have been doing this for years. Um, so that's when I found out I'm an accidental coach um, and consultant and kind of accidentally fell into that world and um, from there launched a podcast uh, which has just gone gangbusters um, and very much looking forward to listening to yours of course Deisha it's going to be awesome um, I'm very excited um, and doing a couple of virtual summits and and now launching a group program as well so so somebody somebody asked me the other day what do you actually do and I went um, basically I'm just living the dream at the moment I am just doing what I enjoy helping people seeing them transform and it is just so fulfilling it's awesome I love that. And it's such a, a cool story to be able to hear that you've grown so massively out of COVID. There's so many yeah. people that have come out the other side and not not been well off. And so many people have come out in all sorts of states. And I think it's fantastic to hear a success story come out of COVID. And oh, oh, my goodness. Well, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I wish I could claim this was my own statement, but it's actually my wife's statement. But um, <laughs> I looked at when we wanted to start Common Ledger. And I, because I had a family, a young family, and I'm married, and you've got a house, everything like that, you've got to support, you basically got to keep food on the table. Um, but I looked at this opportunity that was there, and a good friend of mine had said, look, I want to, I want to build this company. Do you, I need your help, though. And I was looking at it, going, okay, well, we're going to research the hell out of this. Like, we need to validate everything to make sure there is an opportunity. And the problem we had is every time we looked at it, it just got more and more validated. And we're like, oh, no, this is getting very, very real. So I remember like me and my wife, whenever, whenever we have major decisions to make, or actually whenever we're hungry, we'll go to a kebab shop and end up accidentally making major life decisions. So we've banned ourselves from eating kebabs now. Um, so we end up at this kebab shop and I'm sitting there talking to her again, look, there's this massive opportunity in front of me. And I'd been telling her about it as I researched it anyway. So she was on the journey with me. But I said, but I think now's the time that I'm going to have to leave, you know, what was a very well-paying job and go in boots and all. And she went, yep, I think you're right. I think this is the time. And I went, yeah. And she goes, but interesting timing. And I was like, why is that? And she went, well, I've, because she had wanted to change her career. Like um, she had been trained as an early childcare teacher, but she had this passion to help people that have addictions. Um, and she'd been helping a lot of people in her life around this. And she really wanted to get trained, get qualified and actually officially be able to help people. But of course, you know, we're not the youngest. We're not spring chickens anymore, Disha. So um, the thought of going back to, you know, university and that at that age, she was a bit worried about that. And what if I what if I can't do it? What if I don't learn? What if what if I fail at this? But she knew it was the right timing and she had a dream for it. So suddenly we realized what this meant. Because she goes, now's the right time for me to do this. 
And this meant I was leaving my job knowing that we would have six months of no income because we had a roadmap where we said, look, you know, we're going to build this for six months, raise the seed round of a million dollars, and then we can grow from there. So that meant six months of no income from me and her leaving her job. So basically, we had six months of no income at all. In fact, our son was the highest earner in the house at 12. He was just going, yeah, if you guys want some money, you, you come in and see me, you know? <laughs> I was like, dude, seriously. Um, but it was a quote from her at that time where we looked at this and went, you know, there's massive opportunity in front of us with huge amount of risk and a massive opportunity that could also blow up in our face. Um, and she said, yeah, but when have we never landed on our feet? And that's the point where I realized it didn't actually matter what decisions we made, right? And, and I, I encourage every entrepreneur to, to take this on board. It really doesn't matter what decisions you make because a decision is just a decision. Like if it doesn't work, you just make a different decision. It's as simple as that. Like we, we, we have this weird mentality where we think if we, we make a decision and we commit to something, then that is it for life. You know, we, we, we're completely bound by that. And if it fails, we're a complete and utter failure. Not realizing if it fails, you've learned a huge amount of information, huge amount of lessons. Now make a different decision and try something else. Um, and it also made me realize that, you know, we've been married. That this year will be our 26th wedding anniversary. And um, it, I realized that we're on the journey together the whole way, which meant no matter what we did, I've got her at my back. I always picture it. In fact, oh man, this is oversharing for a moment. I have, I have this recurring dream every now and then, right? Where I'm like squatting down behind this bush and I've got this big duffel bag in front of me and they're looking, Leanne's right next to me. She goes, you ready? I went, yeah, ready. And we unzip the bag and it's full of all these guns and everything and a bow and arrow for some reason. And we like, like putting all these guns on us, you know, like everything, the shotguns down the back and all this kind of thing. We're like, right. And we're so excited. And we're like, you got this? We got this. And we burst into this like huge like mansion house and it's full of all these drug dealers and everything. I watch a lot of action movies and, and it's just the most, it's this weird thing of being in this highly stressful situation in my dream, right? Where people are trying to kill us, they're trying to shoot us, um, which is obviously an exaggerated version of real life because it wouldn't happen for us. Um, but we're kicking open these doors and we're blowing away all these bad guys and everything and we're just cracking up laughing. And there's like a point in there, which is, you know, bad boy style. We're back to back guns ablaze and just going bam, 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 like taking down all the bad guys and everything. And it's just a weird dream analogy for the fact that no matter what we go through, we're there with each other. We're on the journey together and we've got each other's back. So much fun. I love that. And I, I love that. When when have we never landed on our feet? That's yeah, yeah. so powerful. And I think that is the difference between somebody who is born to be an entrepreneur and born to take risks than those that are happy with their lot, if you like, in life. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's, that is absolutely amazing. So, I was gutted though, Disha. I wish I could claim it was my own quote. Like seriously, as soon as it came out of her mouth, I went, oh, you jerk. Now now I have to attribute that to you and everyone's going to realize you're far smarter than I am, which of course she is. <laughs> so what do you think that have been some of the things that have helped you scale and be successful over the past uh, year in, in Tracing Insights? Okay. Well, Okay. Oh, the number one, oh, there's, there's two that are kind of closely tied together. Um, but one of those is uh, basically expanding your team, growing your team. Um, because as entrepreneurs, we all do this. I do this every single time, no matter what venture I'm doing, no matter what company I'm, I'm doing, you feel like you can do the entire thing yourself and you set about to do everything yourself. And you think at some point when I've got it all sorted, I can grow the team and scale and scale and scale 
without realizing the point that you're at right now is where you should be scaling. Like you should be outsourcing as much of the stuff that is not your area of expertise as you can. And so for me, I was determined this year or last year rather to go, I can't do this on my own. Uh, there's a few things I wanted to do on my own. I wanted to launch the podcast on myself, by myself and I wanted to do my first summit by myself. And the reason for that was because I, there was a huge amount of stuff I wanted to learn through that process. And I felt like at that point, outsourcing that would mean I, I'm learning by watching someone else rather than learning by experiencing it myself. But then it was like, right, if I really want to scale now, I need to grow my team. And as any entrepreneur knows, getting a good VA, by the way, is really, really stressful, <laughs> really hard. I went through a couple of them. Um, but but now I've got a team that I'm really happy with. Um, and now I can focus on my, and it's an overused cliche, Desha, but my zone of genius. You know, I can focus on what I'm really, really good at. And the stuff that I'm not, I can give to somebody else who will appreciate it far more than I would. Um, so that's my number one. Like just whenever you feel like I will scale one day and I'll grow my team one day, well, you're already too late. Do it now. Just just do it. Take the steps. It's relatively risk-free. You don't have to commit. Like if you're getting a VA, for example, you don't have to commit to them for five years. You can actually get contracts where it's like, hey, we'll do 10 hours this week. If that doesn't work, if, if you're not the right fit, you don't have any hours next week. But if it does, we can keep scaling. So yeah, low risk as an entrepreneur. And then the other, like the second kind of thing I've done to scale is very much tied to that. And it's back, basically back to this whole thing of, you can't do this alone. And that is get yourself a coach. It's as simple as that. Get yourself a coach, a mentor, whatever shape or form that takes. But you need somebody that you can go to when things get rough. You need somebody that can go to when you're feeling overwhelmed. You need someone you can go to when you just need clarity on things or you need somebody to give you a perspective. Um, and, and it was this Interesting point where I discovered, you know, like I said, in this journey, I suddenly found I was a coach. I'm like, oh my goodness, because all these people were like, help, we need your help. And I was like, okay. Um, but then I realized I'm asking these people to commit to me. I'm asking them to give me their money in exchange for me helping them grow their business and helping them to get to where they want to be. But it's a bit disingenuous if I'm saying, do that, but yeah. don't watch what I do because I'm not doing that. <laughs> and that's what I realized everybody I look up to in the industry all my heroes in digital marketing and marketing and everything, all the entrepreneurs that I look up to, every single one of them have a coach. Every single one of them pays somebody to help them get to that next level. So I realize I need to put my money where my mouth is, stop being stingy, which despite how much we get, we earn and how much we've made, I for some reason am really, really stingy. I think that's part of my, my uh, growing up. Um, but actually put your money where your mouth is and get a coach. And I literally found someone and went, that's it. I don't care how much it costs. I just need your help. And that was a, a huge kind of component in helping me to scale as well. Because the other thing is, and this is, oh, how about this? This is a nice segue into my third point. I just realized the third thing that I realized that helped me scale was actually allowing myself to have a bad day. Um, because the one thing a coach does for you and any entrepreneur will face this at any point in their life, right? So I think every entrepreneur has woken up one morning and going, what the hell am I doing? Like, seriously, I should go and get a real job. I should be an adult or whatever, you know, and this is insane. I'm not cut out for this. Who do I think I am? Really growing a business? It's just little old me. Uh, and imposter syndrome just screams at you. It yells at you. It just, you know, gets its claws into your brain and you feel like you can't do it. And so, you know, a mentor or a coach will help you put perspective on that. Because often when you're feeling like that, by the way, it's because your thoughts and feelings aren't actually aligned with the evidence that's in front of you. 
So you are, you know, you're you're growing really quickly. You're getting all this breakthrough for your clients, or you know, whatever it is that you're doing. But your brain's going, I'll ignore that, and I'll tell you, you don't know what you're doing. So this is misalignment, and a coach will help you with that. But the other thing I realized, and this this was the third point, which is I had to learn to allow myself to have a bad day. Uh, and it was somebody just in a casual conversation with me actually that said. You know, we're human beings, we have good days and we have bad days. And actually having that is really, really important because if every day was a good day, then it would be pretty bland. Like you would just be flat because it's like, well, every day is completely the same. But actually a bad day highlights the good day so much more. And, you know, like I was explaining this, this is a weird tangent. See what you do to me, Deja. Uh, It's a really weird tangent here, but I remember having this conversation with my son when he was a bit younger. Uh, He's 18 now, by the way, Um, when, when he was quite younger, like 13. Um, we were watching some cheesy, I don't know, some teen drama, teen movie. I can't even remember what it was. It was so bad. But there was this this boy and he was obsessed with this girl. And he's like, oh, and then she didn't know he existed. So his heart was broken. And I cracked up laughing. And I said, what? And I said, oh, you're going to go through this. And he goes, oh, whatever. And I said, no, no. I said, you're going to find somebody. And they are just going to be the center of your world. You're going to see this person and just go, oh, my goodness, time has stopped. This is it. This is the only person in the world I ever want to be with. You're going to be so infatuated and love and whatever. You'll just be obsessed. And then they're going to break your heart. That's pretty much guaranteed. And he went, what? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, And then you are going to think the world is over and you're devastated and you'll never get over this and life has ended as you know it. And then you'll see somebody else and go, oh, my goodness, they're the best thing ever. And I said, it's this emotional roller coaster. I said, but it's important because when you feel that rejection and those lows and all those those heartbreaks and things like that, it makes you appreciate what you do have so much more. Yeah. So when you do find that person that you are meant to be with, you find that person that is you know going to be you, you're going to be married to for 26 years. That is the person that you will grab a hold of and you will never let go. Uh, and I don't mean that in an obsessive weird way. <laughs> I mean that <laughs> in that you will do everything you can to build that relationship and to to want them to succeed and want to grow an environment for them. And I still remember, and you'll get embarrassed if you ever heard this, so I'll make sure he doesn't hear your podcast. Um, but he, the look on his face was just this fascination and this little smile of going, yeah, actually, the bad feelings will make the good feelings better. And it was almost this weird thing of going, I'm kind of looking forward to that. You know, I'm looking forward to this, you know, infatuation and love. And then I'm looking forward to the heartbreak because on the other side of that, there's this amazing feeling. And so yeah. it's the same with entrepreneurs. You have to learn that we are these weird and wonderful and flawed human beings. And we will have those days where you can't do it. And those days where you really feel like you can't break through. And the days where like, in in all honesty, the days where you feel like crying for no reason, or you feel completely overwhelmed and anxious for no actual reason, that is normal. It is okay. And you're allowed a bad day. And as soon as I realized that, and I gave myself permission for that, that shifted everything for me. It allowed me to go, you know what? Today is a really bad day. Um, so I'm going to take time and I'm going to look after myself. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to come back and watch a Marvel movie or watch something Star Wars related because <laughs> I'm a nerd. Um, but I'm going to do something for myself. And, and then often what happens, you'll find this, by giving yourself permission to do that and giving yourself permission to have a bad day, it shifts anyway. And what would normally have taken the entire day, suddenly, you know, two or three hours later, you're back at your desk going, man, I am crushing it. Like the work is flowing so well. It's just an awesome feeling. I, I love that. And I'm a big fan of this. If I sit down in the morning and I'm like procrastinating and nothing is going to be done <laughs> and three hours have passed, and I just go, you know what? Maybe today is not the day I'm supposed to do any work. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I'm just going to call it and be like, 
okay, enough. Because <laughs> yep. I'm just staring at the computer at this point. Like, yeah. Nothing is getting done. So I'm going to own it and go for a walk and go for a nice coffee. Love that. The house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and you know the funny thing, Desha? Like the world doesn't end when we do that. You know, it's that weird thing of all of a sudden you still have a business and it can thrive. You just had a bad day. It's okay. You're human. Yeah. And I think that is one massive shift that I know I had to make when I went from being employed to self-employed and yeah. not, not re- the realization that you don't have to sit at your desk from nine to five every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> it was one of the, the funniest things. Um, so in my corporate career, one of my, one of the things I was known for is building high-performing teams. And one of the reasons I could build high-performing teams is because I got really honest with them all. Um, I used to teach them that actually you don't have to know everything. It's okay to not know something. It's okay, even if you're an expert in the field, it's okay to not even know the basics of a certain aspect of that because we don't know everything. You're not expected to, you know? That's what Google's for. It's what YouTube's for. Um, It's what all your peers are for. But the other thing I realized was we have this weird mentality in corporate life where you have to do the nine to five. You know, you got to be in front of your desk, which means when you're not feeling it or you're in between different jobs and you, you know, it's it's half an hour before lunchtime. You're like, do I really start this now? Oh, I can't be bothered starting now. I'll start it after lunchtime. So for half an hour, you're sitting there trying to look busy and we're paying them to be incredibly unproductive. So I thought, instead of that, why don't we own that? Why don't we bring that to the forefront and go, hey guys, you are not going to feel 100% the whole day. So if you can smash your stuff out early and want to go home, you do that. Or if you're not feeling it in the morning and you go, you know what, I'm just going to go for a walk I'm going to come back. I'm going to be productive. As long as you're not missing critical meetings, but giving them permission to be human and to not do that whole fake, all oh, the bosses come in quick, everyone look busy type thing, um, meant that they had a freedom about them. So they, they were actually free to produce really good quality work. They were free to kind of um, put the hours in when they need to and and look after themselves as well. Super important. That, that makes a massive difference to a team. I want to go back to one of the points you said about getting a coach and how did you know when you said, I just found somebody and I just knew <laughs> that was the person? How did you know that that was the person for you? Well, that is a very good question. Um, so the first thing I did, um, so this is the first part of this process. The first thing I did was I, I wrote a list of everyone that could be a coach, you know, everyone that you know I looked up to or that was you know ahead of me in the industry and things like that. And I went through with a red pen and crossed out a huge amount of them. <laughs> that was step number one is going, these people are not aligned with who I am. And by that, I meant like, I'm, there's certain things I'm really passionate about, right? I'm passionate about cutting through the BS in marketing, like getting rid of the whole bro marketer culture and getting rid of the whole, you know, as marketing's overly complex, but in reality, it's not. It's actually really simple. But because we're insecure marketers, we think, well, if we make it complex and everyone will have to use us, let's get rid of all that. Let's empower people. Let's actually make people realize how powerful marketing is and teach them. Because guess what? Even if you teach them, they're still going to want you to do it. So I'm like really passionate about crushing that. But also I'm really passionate about crushing this whole sales culture. And apologies to any sales, and actually no apologies to any salesperson listening to this. You'll get what I mean in a minute. Um, there's this mentality and and I'm not going to name the organization, but there was an organization that approached me that wanted to be part of their programs and to teach on their programs and things. And part of their whole program was they would get people to walk around with a badge on them that says how much they earned that week. And I'm like, why? And it's like, oh, it's about getting people focused on their goals. And I said, but why Why the dollar figure? And I went, oh, because that's their goals. I said, is it? Is, there, is the goal to actually just make money or is the goal to impact people? 
like, how about we sh- uh, flip the switch on this? And instead of putting a list of how much you've earned that week, how many people have you impacted? And some of those will be free. Some of those will be high ticket items. Some of those will be low ticket items, but you are impacting people. And when you do that, it's very, very different from a sale. And I often clash, and again, I'll be careful who I name here. <laughs> you get myself in trouble here, Desha. Um, but I often share the stage with some very high profile uh, marketers. I'll leave it at that. Um, but I usually end up arguing with one of them in particular because in fact, I invited him to speak at my first summit. Um, in fact, I think you spoke at that summit. Um, so I invited him to speak at that summit. And he, like halfway through the call, I did a call with him and said, look, you know, this is what we're doing. I'd love you to be a guest on this. And to be honest, the only reason I invited him was because I made the mistake of thinking that if you run a summit, you've got to get everyone high profile first. Get all the big names and everyone else will be like so impressed with you and they'll all want to come to your summit. And I went, this is so wrong. And halfway through the conversation with him, he found out that I was doing it as a free summit. Um, and you have like all summits, you've got to upsell in there, you've got a VIP package, all those kind of things. Uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about what you do. And if people are aligned with that, they'll purchase what you've got as well. But he was horrified. And he's like, Vince, how many times have I told you you should be charging as much as possible up front, then take them up the value ladder and charge them more and more and more and more and more. And I went, dude, seriously, we are never going to agree on this. And he goes, yeah, but you're wrong and I'm right. And I went, <laughs> Really? Okay. Well, that's interesting for starters. Um, and he goes, you've got to understand that like this is this is a true essence of marketing. I went, no. I said, because here's what happens. You have focused on selling something to them, which becomes, they become a transaction essentially, right? They're a client of yours, sure. They've bought something that you have, sure. But they've done it in a transactional manner where they've gone, this meets a need. I'm going to buy it to meet my need. And then if the product that you sold them or whatever it is you sold them is good quality, they may or may not come back to you, right? And Or, or you may try and upsell them to something else and then upsell, actually knowing him, upsell, then upsell, then bump, then upsell, then bump, then upsell. And ugh, anyway, but you really, you've just got this transactional client. I said, here's what I do. I give away as much as possible for free. And you can see him just cringing, like seriously. I said, I give away as much as possible for free because I want to genuinely help people. Then what happens from there is the money follows that. And instead of creating a transactional client, you create a fan, essentially. I hate the term fan, but essentially that's what it is. You create a fan that goes, this person has done so much for me. I want to follow what they do. I want to purchase what they sell. I want to be a part of whatever it is that they're doing. And I said, so you have this transactional person you've got to try and resell to. I've got these people that are going, hey, I want to buy more. Give me more of it. Give me more of it. Give me more. So, oh, so I want to crush that whole concept I've completely lost how we even got onto this topic now. Now, um, so <laughs> coaches, there we go. Yeah. So crossing these people off that are sales focused rather than serving focus was the first step of that. And then I just had to find people that I, I thought were ahead of where I wanted to be. So I looked at them and went, are they where, like, if I looked at myself in a year's time, would I be happy positioned where they are? And if so, awesome. Now, how is their heart? Like, how, how do they, like, turn up for people? Are they turning up authentically? Are they standoffish? Are they, like, because I need a certain thing when I'm dealing with a coach. I need someone who is going to be really open with me, who's going to wear their heart on their sleeve, because that's who I am. So so that was the kind of process I went through. Cross off the dodgies. I mean, the ones I don't agree with. Um, then find the ones that are where I want to be, and then work out if their heart is aligned with my heart. And when you do that, um, that's when you find the perfect match. I love that because I am so so the same. I, I see so many coaches that I'm like, I really like what you're saying and I really you know, <laughs> resonate with that. Yeah. But I just don't like you. 
don't know what it is. Okay. Like I want it. a list of names, t shirt. No. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly well. true though. Yeah. I get what they're coaching about. I understand yeah. it. Like I, I see the value in that. I just don't <laughs> want to work with you as an individual. Yeah. I, I I remember seeing I, I was um it wasn't my summits, but I was at somebody else's summit. So I, I wasn't speaking there, I was just participating as a as an attendee. And it was an interesting thing because I had two diametrically opposed speakers who essentially were kind of saying the same thing, but with a very different approach to it. So one of them was very empathetic very kind of, you know, we're, we're here about impact guys. We want to change the world. We want to do this, we want to do this. And I was like, I'm getting so much out of this. And the next one was the the bro culture kind of guy. Now, he effectively was saying the same thing as the other speaker, but he's there going, yeah, can I get a whoop whoop? And I went, no, you really can't. Like, seriously, I'm tired, dude. Like, I'm not giving you a whoop whoop. And he's like, and yeah, it's all about getting in there, get in the face and yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is just so wrong. But I realized, like, he will definitely appeal to certain people. And there are certain people that that will resonate because they need that motivation, that ramping up and they're kind of, yeah, we can do this, we can do this. Whereas I'm the person that needs to know that I'm genuinely helping people. So so there's coaches for everyone, but not every coach is for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is so powerful and something that I think people need to learn fairly early on, even if they're a coach. Like if, if you're a coach, you have yes. to understand that it's okay that people don't like you because you're not supposed to be. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Well, actually, it's a it's a good sign, isn't it? Like you know this, I know this. If if you've got people that don't like you and don't like your method, it means you actually stand for something. It means you actually you're not vanilla, you're not bland, right? You have to be polarizing because you, if you've got nobody that is kind of I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word, not anti you, but nobody that just goes ah, oh, you repel me, then you really aren't attracting anyone either. So you need to be a bit polarizing in that sense, and I don't mean aggressively polarizing or anything, but you need to. You need to have your personality somehow shine through that because I, I realize that I'm an overly optimistic person. I am genuinely, and, and I believe it's a superpower because honestly, optimistic and nice are the two things that have got me to where I am now. Um, but I'm also aware that those two traits very much great certain personality types. And there are people yeah. that just cannot stand to be in the room with me for more than five minutes because I will drive them nuts. And there are other people that will sit there for hours listening to what I've got. So oh, it's important. So what do you think are the things that you could share that will change somebody's business and help them grow in 2021 as we grow out of wow. COVID? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm going to get practical with these. I was going to say things like, you know, just showing up and, and just making sure you're turning up every day and all these kinds of things. But I'm going to get really, really practical for a moment because there's two things that I teach a lot to because I find most entrepreneurs don't do this. The first is um, getting in front of your customers as much as possible. Now, this is something that everybody knows. Every entrepreneur knows you should be in front of your customers or potential customers as often as possible. Not selling to them, but talking to them, getting their feedback, finding out how they're like how they're wired, how they're taken, all these kind of things. But what we, even though we know that, we don't do it often enough. And one of the things I teach is um, we we as entrepreneurs do these things called ICAs or personas, you know, all the avatars, and we create our ideal customers. So, and to do that, we break it down by like uh, demographic. You know, so are they uh, female, age twenty five to thirty five? Are they living in uh, you know middle class households or high class? You know, like we break it down by all the demographic data, and we go, that's the ideal person I want to be talking to. And then we go, okay, now we're going to break it down even further by some of the sociographic um, like breakdowns. So what are their general behaviors? Like, you know, where are they hanging out? All these kind of things. So that's how we build these personas. But I'm going, 
you know what? Let's go, let's go deeper than that. Let's actually understand them, have conversations with these people. So we know I'm going to make up two words here because I love making up words. It's one of my favorite pastimes. But let, let's look at the thinker graphic. Like let's look at what's inside their head, like the questions that they have. Let's look at the objections they have and not just the, the general sales objections, but what are the things that make them jar? Like when you're talking to them and make them kind of recoil slightly or back off a little bit. What are all these things? Like what's important to them as an individual? Because if you start to understand that, you get inside their mind, it makes it so much easier to, to do sales copy. It's so much easier to, to create marketing messages that resonate with them. And then go to another layer, which is the wire graphics. Oh, I love making up words. Um, <laughs> wire graphics, which is actually what, what are their motivations? Like, why do they do what they do? Why do they purchase the things that they purchase? Why do they back away from other ones? You know, like actually understand not just the behavior, but understand the, the rationale behind that. Understand their thought process behind that. And to do that, it's really, really simple. You just need to get in front of people as much as possible, record them. And this sounds random, but like ask their permission, record them. And this is really important because you don't want to get in front of them and go, does this resonate with you? Yes, no. Would you like to buy more of this? Yes, no. If I had this kind of product, would that work for you? Yes, no. Forget that. That doesn't give you any information, right? Because people's brains are biased and skewed. But instead, you want to get them to tell you stories, like, tell me about a time that you've worked with a coach and it didn't go well. What was that? What was the things that made you resist or hesitate in there? And you want to record them. And, you know, when you're looking at a coach, what are the things that are red flags for you? What are the things that are really important to you? What, what you know, when you're choosing a coach, what are the things that really stand out? So go through all those processes and get them to talk to you. And the reason you want to record them is you're going to get two layers of insights from this conversation. You're going to get the factual stuff. So when they say, okay, well, one thing that doesn't resonate with me that turned me off was the bro culture thing, for example. Okay, so someone's going in there going, sell, sell, sell. That really turned me off. Well, that's a fact. And you go, okay, right, and you'll write that down. And you know that's something that you can build into your marketing and make sure you're not doing that. But then the other thing that you're going to get from this is the verbatims. And by that, I mean, they are literally going to give you the words to use to market back to them and to sell back to them. And, and I'll give you a good example of this because I know this. I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I've been in marketing forever, it seems. And this is something I teach over and over again. But guess what? I still make the same mistake. Like, seriously, I was talking to um, two women in Melbourne. Uh, there are two elderly ladies who run the shop over there. It's a knitting cafe. And one of the things I noticed was they were getting a huge amount of foot traffic, but really no, no web traffic at all. And it was because they weren't even, like, weren't even registering as a blip on Google. Right, you go to Google. You'd search. You'd even search for their name, and it would be really difficult to find them. And I said to them, "Look, you've got an SEO problem, right? So right now you're not ranking at all for any keywords, and you're not ranking for anything we would search for. So I'm going to do an audit on this, or do an SEO audit, and we'll come back with an action plan to get you up the rankings." And I realized the two of them are looking at me completely blank, and I'm like, <laughs> uh, "And then one of them said, uh, Vince, I said, "What? We don't care about that. I mean, really? Yeah, we just want to be found on Google." And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I realized it's exactly what I was saying to them, but I was using the language that I know. I was using marketing terminology. I was using all the things that we do as entrepreneurs. We're like, oh yeah, this is this makes me sound important because I'm using lots of acronyms and you know, using really complex words. So I sound really intelligent. So I flipped the switch and said, okay, well, how about this? You got a problem that you're not being found on Google. They went, uh-huh. I said, so how about I find out why you're not being found on Google and I get you found on Google? They went, yes, that's what we want. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> they just use their words back on them. They, they will give you 
the, the way that they describe their problems, the way that they describe their need, the way that they describe the solution as well. So, so I highly recommend you do this as much as possible. If you're just starting out, I would recommend you do, um, it's a concept I came up with like years and years ago called Coffee Line Tests. So if you're a business, a consumer business, and you're wanting to get you know, get feedback from as many people as possible, literally go up to a cafe. Um, this is in a post-COVID world, I'm thinking. Um, in the time where you're allowed to go into public and there's crowds and things like that, you want to go into a high foot traffic cafe. You want to go up to the manager and say, look, I'm going to take this little corner of a desk over here. I, I'm going to, my friend's with me here, and he's going to find people in the line uh, and that we think you know we can have a chat to and offer to pay for their coffee. So we'll put our credit card on the counter. We'll take their order, pay for the coffee if they give a minute of their um, time in, in exchange. And I tell you now, 100% of the time it works. You just you, the, the manager is usually pretty keen for it. They're like, yeah, not a problem. And you get your friend in there going, hey, do you want me to shout you a cup of coffee? Like, I'll pay for your coffee. I'll order it for you if you just give a minute of your time to give some feedback on something we're working on. And people are like, oh, yes, definitely. They go over there and he's just telling up the orders and bringing the coffee over to them. And then half the time, you've actually, you know, you've exceeded the minute or two, the coffee's with them and they're still keen to give you the information. They, like, they love being helpful and giving you feedback. So I highly recommend you do something along those lines to just get in front of as many people as possible. Um, and then the. That's oh, genius. I've never heard of anybody doing that going into a cafe. That is a genius idea. Do you, do you want to know the embarrassing story behind it, though? Oh, my goodness. Go I, I wish it was one of those moments where I'm like, I've got this epiphany and I'm going to just do this and it's going to be hugely successful. But it actually came from me stuffing up majorly. So I uh, we had this thing called Startup Weekend. And it was the concept was you got together. We had about 120 different people all gathered together in this hall. And you had a bunch of marketers, uh, designers, developers, you know, salespeople, all these kind of things come together. And, you know, we had about 120 different people pitch an idea each. And this was the business they wanted to build. And then it all got whittled down to 12. And one of my ideas was selected for the 12. And then it got whittled down even further. And I was still there. So then everyone that's in the room, most of them don't have a business. So they all come over and they say, hey, I'd love to work on your team. I'd love to help you build this business in a weekend. And you've got essentially 72 hours to build a business. And my business was uh, Mobile Combat. So it was a app. This is in the uh, the heydays of when Android phones had just come out. And so you had Android like, people that were passionate about Android. You had all the obsessive iPhone users and the, I think, three people in the world that used Windows Mobile at the time. So, so you had this weird kind of environment there. And I wanted to capitalize on that by creating an app where you would basically walk around town and it would blip and tell you that there's, you know, 10 iPhone users near you if you're on an Android phone and you could battle them like top trance styles. You just click on them. You don't get any of the personal data. You click on them and then you would battle and there'd be a randomizer and you could, you know, buy microtransactions in the app to get some extra armor or extra sword or all these kind of things. And the idea was we would create this momentum by having all this press so, you know, you'd see on TechCrunch that New York is now an Android city, whereas, you know, LA is still uh, our iPhone. And, you know, so it was all this kind of buzz that we create off it. Anyway, the company failed miserably. The app never really got off the ground. And partly because well, we didn't realize that um, Apple do not like you comparing them to anyone else. So they weren't too happy about our app, but never mind. But one of the things I knew I had to do was validate this idea. Would people actually want to play something like this? And would they want to buy microtransactions in app? And, you know, I had my theories that this would work, but I thought, right, I'm going to prove this. It's going to be easy. I grabbed a clipboard, I grabbed some paper and a pen, and I went out on the street and I tried to accost the people as they're walking around saying, can I get your feedback? Um, I very quickly discovered two things. Number one, 
when you're accosting somebody in the street, they are walking from point A to point B, like they're going somewhere. So you are actually interrupting them. So that's not good. But the other thing is when you're standing with a clipboard and a pen in the street and you go up to someone, they immediately think you're one of two things, a street preacher or someone asking for donations. And I had so many virtual doors slammed in my face and also learned a lot of new swear words, apparently. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I was, I was feeling like a complete moron. I was like, how did I not see this coming? So I thought, oh, I need to, I need to think through. Like, I need somewhere where they're all captive. I need somewhere where you know the people aren't really walking from point A to point B, and then they're kind of you've got a little bit of a permission to engage with them. I thought, ah, oh, well, I can't think of anything, so I'm going to go and grab a coffee. So I went to this cafe, and I'm standing in line for like five minutes in this cafe, going, man, where am I going to find a captive audience? Oh my goodness! Finally got up, made my order. I had to wait another five minutes for the coffee. Going, I just need a captive audience. And then I looked up and went, "Oh, you idiot! <laughs> like it's right here." Um, so, so I tested it with a couple of people that worked beautifully, and then that was the birth of coffee line tests. <laughs> I love it, coffee line tests. I think that's a genius idea. Oh my goodness! It, it's saved us so much money. Um, in fact, if you're in corporate life, um, so we did this at Signa. You know, when I was uh, chief marketing officer there, I thought, right. We need to validate some new um, changes we've made to a policy document. We want to know that people actually understood them. So what we would do is we'd take that paragraph, um, we'd take it down, do a coffee line test on it and get people to read it and then explain it back to us. Um, so that way we understood if they actually understood the context of it. Uh, it turned out they didn't. I'm so glad we did this because we saved a lot of money. It would have been really painful to um, have to rewrite that after the fact. But I went back to our CFO and I sat down with him. I said, oh, we've just done all this qualitative, like really good qualitative uh, research. And he goes, oh, no, how much did that cost? Because he's used to, you know, when in a large corporate like that, when you do a qualitative survey, you get like, you know, 50 people in and you interview them and you video these things and you get all the feedback back and the analysis on it. And it's costing, you know, $40,000 or more. Um, and I came back and said, oh, yeah, well, we got, you know, we got 40 different people. How much did that cost? Oh, I was about 100 bucks. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, he couldn't get his head around that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so CFOs love it. And it's just saved so much time and money. I love that. It's a fantastic idea. Uh, did you have a second point for us? I, I certainly, I've got hundreds of points, Tisha. you should know that by now. <laughs> but the next practical one I've got for you, and it is very much tied to this whole concept of turning up. You know, like I said before, I wasn't going to use this as one because it's, it's, it's a bit vague when you say to people, you know, say to entrepreneurs, no matter what, even if you're feeling crap, you're feeling horrible, just show up and just take one foot in front of the other and just keep pressing in, right? So that's really useful. But when you're feeling like that, it doesn't really help you at the time. You know, you know this. Every entrepreneur knows I should just turn up even when I'm not feeling it. Just keep trying to just try. And the moment I start, everything will come right and I'll feel better and blah, 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 blah. But one thing I did do that um, that changed it for me, and I wish I could claim this myself, um, but it was somebody who just in conversation with me um, suggested I do this. And it's called an impact list. And what I did was uh, one day when I was feeling a bit sorry for myself, as you do, and I'm going, who do I think I am? And imposter syndrome is going, hey, Vinny, <laughs> you remember my voice? Well, here we go. I've got some truth for you, which, by the way, aren't truths at all. Um, and I'm sitting there feeling like I can't do this. And I had to write down a list called my impact list. And it was a list of everybody that I help, everybody that I impact. And in the case of your business, it's everybody that you serve. right? So you write down their name uh, and then you write down what their need was. And you write down how you met that need and what the result was afterwards. 
And I started running this. And at first, when you do it, you think of probably two or three people. But then that list grows and grows and grows. And then you start expanding it to not just people in your business, but you know your next door neighbor when you took their trash out for them because they were having a bad day or the lady in the street who, who fell over and you helped her up and made sure she's all right. Or you know the kid that went running out on the road and you quickly grabbed them, all these kind of things. And you just write down this list, this impact list. And on those days where you are not feeling it, that's when you turn to this list. And it's very similar to, I don't know if you've heard of the cookie jar method, but um, uh, David Goggins, yeah, I'm pretty sure his name yeah. is David Goggins. Yeah, David Goggins, he wrote the, the cookie jar method. Um, it's similar to that, but it's just the impacts that you have. And on those days where you're not feeling it and you turn to that list, two things happen. Number one, you start to align, like your perspective aligns with the truth. So in other words, your thoughts and feelings are feeling one thing or thinking one thing, but the truth is something else. And by looking at that impact list, you're starting to align the two of those and realize that actually I can do this. I'm already doing this. I'm impacting all these people. I need to get pressing in. But the other thing that happens, and this was the surprise for me when I did it, was it made it not about me. And that makes things a lot easier to deal with on those days where you're not feeling it. And you look at this list and go, well, hang on a minute. If I don't turn up, right? If I, if I allow myself to just you know, go into a hibernation for three or four days or whatever, then I'm denying these people the right to break through. I'm denying these people the potential uh, wins that they have or the potential impacts that they've got on this list. And that makes it seem very different to you where you're like, actually, it's not about me. It's about somebody else. And what right do I have not to turn up? So I highly encourage everybody to do this. You just write down this impact list. Don't do what I did. Originally, I wrote them all down on note papers and like post-it notes and put them all on my wall in the office, which was an awesome concept, except I would have clients come over to the office and they're looking at this list going, wow, narcissistic much? Um, but I was like, no, no. So I transferred them all into Trello and I've got a Trello board there where um, if I'm if I'm like you know having a bad day, I can just turn to that Trello board and your spirit starts to lift and you start to get that motivation, the momentum back. It's a really powerful. I absolutely love that. And I, I do a similar thing where I have testimonials and I go yeah. through everybody's video testimonials that they've done for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, I am it's okay. such a good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and look, it's going to seem like for some entrepreneurs, I know for me, it felt a bit weird when I first did it. I'm like, oh man, this is quite vain, but it's not vain. You've, you've impacted somebody, you've helped somebody and in whatever way that you serve them. And that's something to be actually quite proud of. And that's something that you should use to encourage you as well. That's why we turn up. It's why we do what we do. That's really important. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing. What, we've been talking for ages. So what, oh is, yeah. <laughs> what is your offer? How can people come and work oh. with you? What amazing things can you <laughs> help people with right now? Okay, well, um, I'm I'm launching my three-month accelerator program. Um, so essentially, it takes people through my signature program, which is a four-stage framework, which goes, I'll help you to deeply understand your customers, to shape your messaging around what their actual needs are. So going into those thinker graphics, the wire graphics. And by the way, it's really easy to find that information, trust me. So actually getting all this, like working out what type of entrepreneur you are, what type of business you're building, just getting really clear on why you're here and what you're doing. And then from there, it's moving into the A part of the earn method, which is assemble. And that is really digging deep on all the pieces that you need to make yourself win, essentially, to position yourself the best way possible. So taking the why that you're doing and or the why you're doing what you're doing and putting it in a framework and making it consistent across all your things. So we'll analyze 
your websites, your landing pages, your social profiles, your content marketing, your emails, your sales messaging, everything. We'll analyze the whole lot to make sure it's consistent across there. And then the next two steps are real simple. It's scaling upwards and scaling outwards. Um, so teaching you how to generate leads, convert those leads, but then more importantly, how do you add more value to those leads? How do you add more impact to them and in return, receive more value back? Um, and then off the back of all of that, of course, is positioning yourself as a thought leader. So it's a huge amount to pack into a three-month program, but I know it works because this is the stuff that I do. And it's the stuff that have turned around the businesses I've been part of. It's the stuff that have made the companies I've created successful. Um, so I want to help as many entrepreneurs as possible. So Everyone can sign up for that. Um, I've got a foundation members program. <laughs> it's just simple. Just go sign up, everyone. Now, I've got a foundation members program, which means you get in for a greatly reduced cost, but you have to, it's really important, you have to commit to giving me regular feedback because I want to make sure this program is developed in a way that is just serving as many entrepreneurs as possible in the most impactful way possible. So that's that's my offer. Um, one thing I do is anybody out there that needs any clarity on marketing or clarity on messaging or clarity on how to launch a podcast, whatever it is that you're going, hey, I think this will work for me, but I'm not sure, or I'm really struggling with this, or I'm feeling overwhelmed with marketing, or I don't know where to begin, or I'm in a rut. Any of those kind of situations, um, I'm always keen to jump on a free strategy call with you. And I offer a free strategy call where I will dig into that and I'll give you a sense of clarity off the back of it. So anyone can reach out to me. Um, ChasingTheInsights.com is my website. So just go there book a free strategy call, have a look at the Academy program. It's real, real simple. <laughs> yes. And uh, all the links will be below for anybody that wants to there check those out as well. Thank you so um, efficient, Deja. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so just before we finish, my very quick three very random questions oh, for you. I love what random. You, Go for it. <laughs> yay. What do you do for fun? Oh, my goodness. Uh Okay. Uh, a lot. Uh, no. uh, if anyone could see behind me, I have Star Wars memorabilia everywhere, but included in there is an actual proper lightsaber. Like, it's a dueling lightsaber. So I play around with that when no one's looking. Um, I often have, this is my office when everyone's gone. So when my wife's at work, my son's at university, my daughter's out working and everything, I'm the only one home. I can tell you now there is karaoke happening most of the day. When I'm not on calls, I am singing nonstop. But the other thing that we do for fun, both my wife and I, other than going to the gym all the time together, and um, that's our date time, uh, we do taiko drumming, which, by the way, if you've never done, is one of the most fun things in the world. So it's Japanese drumming where you just, it's so hard to put into words. It is just like smashing the crap out of these drums to a really cool rhythm. And it's just so awesome. You just get out so much aggression. aggression. I love it. It's going to go on my list of things to do. Taiko. Oh, you have to. Totally have to. Yep. <laughs> yes. I'm looking, when, when we're allowed out, I'm going to look for a class on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what does freedom look like to you? Oh, my goodness. Um, freedom looks like choice in the sense that when you have freedom, you have a choice to, to be yourself. You have a choice to turn up as yourself. You don't have to pretend to be anybody else. I can play around with my lightsaber. I can be a giant nerd because that's who I am because I have that freedom. I'm not bound by trying to conform to somebody else. I'm not bound by a corporate environment where you have to act in a certain way. You have to be in a certain way. I can turn up as my weird and and you know over-emotional self as I do and help people authentically. I love that. That's, that is massive for me as well, free choice and free yeah. And lastly, what is one huge personal goal you want to tick off? 
<laughs> oh no, I don't want to admit this one. Now, um, okay, I okay. Context for this one before I say it. When I was little, I remember seeing the movie Singing in the Rain. Okay, and I remember sitting there going, "What am I watching? Like this is one of the greatest movies ever. Not not quite as good as Star Wars, obviously, but amazing film." And I remember being delighted through the entire thing, and I was fascinated by tap dancing, but. When you're a young teenage boy or pre-teenage boy in that case, tap dancing is not very cool back in our day. So I never learned tap dancing. Now, fast forward many, many years. Um, a couple of years ago, we decided we were going to try something new. So me and my wife went, right. And I went, I want to do tap dancing. I've always wanted to do it. I just want to learn to tap dance. So we did tap dancing classes. I did two classes and got so annoyed with myself. I'm like, this is, I thought, I don't know why I thought this teacher, I thought as soon as I tried tap dancing, because I watched it for so many years, I watched YouTube videos of tap dancers, I watched Singing in the Rain over and over again, uh, I thought I was going to be brilliant at it. <laughs> it turns out I really, really sucked at it. So this year, one of my personal goals is to, I'm going to bite the bullet, I'm going to I'm going to actually practice what I teach everybody, which is keep persevering. Um, and I am going to learn to tap dance and I'm going to be able to do a, like one of the songs from singing in the rain. I haven't decided which one yet, but I'm going to be able to do one of those songs fully through tap dancing and that it's embarrassing, but, uh, but also I'm not embarrassed at all because I'm, I'm just love it so much. That would be amazing. I would absolutely love to see that. And I will fly <laughs> to New Zealand to see you perform. Well, somebody has asked that I live stream it once. I, once I'm confident enough and I've done it and I'm going, yeah, but that'll be about five years from now. But no, <laughs> I, I have to commit to it and I will I will go live on Facebook. I'll do it in my Facebook group. I can stream it to your group as well, Disha. There you go. Yes. Just embarrassing myself across the globe. <laughs> I would absolutely love that. And you're more than welcome to stream that straight into it. <laughs> <laughs> They'll think, what is going on? What has Disha done now? Like, seriously. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really, really happy that you're here. And I cannot wait for this episode to go live. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Deisha. I love the work that you do. Um, When you and I connected, so if anyone wonders... I actually, I can't even remember how we connected. I think randomly in a conversation somewhere. And then I thought, I need to talk to you. I need to get you on my podcast. I need to get you as part of my summit. And... As soon as we connected, I'm like, there is a kindred spirit, but there is somebody that genuinely wants to impact people, genuinely wants to serve her community and help as many entrepreneurs as possible. And I went, I love that. So anything to help you, but also I selfishly am just hanging out for your podcast to go live because I want to listen to it. As simple as that. I've got some amazing speakers coming up. It's going to be epic. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And I really hope that you genuinely learned something from today's episode. If you found this episode useful, then please hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. I personally read each and every one. Until next time, bye.